And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Coming to you on the Mojo 5 radio network. Streaming live on iHeartRadio. You can listen on demand anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, or Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes. We love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email at rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail at 772-245-0750 where you can leave your questions or comments that we might use on the broadcast. That number is 772-245-0750. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. So the Democrats met up in Houston last night for a three-hour debate. And uh, I had every intention of watching it and reporting on it uh, on this show. And uh, I have to tell you, audience, I love you. I appreciate your listening, but there was no way I could sit through that three-hour snooze fest. Um, I will um, go to the clip services and and get uh, the relevant clips and put together a show for you uh, on the topic tomorrow. But as far as sitting through three hours of that, I'm sorry I couldn't do it. I tried to do the seven hours of the CNN climate change telethon. I couldn't do that either. And I think uh, the Democrats run a real risk of just boring the hell out of everybody um, and, and turning everybody off. I think the most entertaining part of last night's debate was the president's uh, live tweeting and, uh, and mocking these socialist Marxist candidates in real time. But as I say, uh, I'll distill it down for you. And tomorrow, I, I assume that most of my listeners didn't watch it either. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait uh, and and distill it down to the important bites uh, and put it, put that together for you for tomorrow's show. In the second half of today's show, we're going to be joined by Dan Perkins, author of The Brotherhood of the Red, Red Nile. A terrorist perspective. Uh, you you really want to stay tuned for that. the uh, The Homeland Security Committee in the Senate recently held a hearing at Ground Zero in New York City uh, to commemorate uh, the 18th anniversary of 9/11, and they could not bring it upon themselves to utter the term radical Islamic terrorism. So we're gonna. We're going to cover that topic in the second half of tonight, uh, tonight's show. I want you to stick with us. So we have great big news in the, uh, in the front to secure our nation's borders. The Trump administration won a major Supreme Court victory that allowed them to uh, move ahead with their new asylum regulations uh, while the uh, the case that's been brought against it by the ACLU and the other uh, open border zealots proceed uh, through the through the legal system, you'll recall for the last uh, oh I guess two or three shows we had covered the back and forth between uh, the Obama appointed judge in San Francisco. His last name is Tigger T I G double R. 
uh, and the newly minted Trump majority Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It, it, it sounds strange to say that, but uh, the Republicans now hold sway in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals thanks to Mitch McConnell confirming uh, numerous uh, Trump appointees nominated uh, uh, appeals court judges. Well, what the Supreme Court found was uh, that uh, they overturned Tigger's nationwide injunction against the implementation of these new asylum rules. And that means that Trump is now free to deny asylum for any um, migrant seeking it that has not that has not applied in another safe country that they've transited through. Up until now, we've had a fiasco going on down there where uh, people were allowed to show up at the border having marched across two or three nations and claimed that they were uh, in fear for their lives in their home country. That was never the purpose of asylum. That was never the purpose of the international refugee commitments. The idea of a refugee is that they're fleeing their uh, instability or violence or political persecution in their own company, uh, country, and uh, they're fleeing for safety. Uh, what we have been treated to for the last 20 or 30 years now are people that are leaving their com- country for economic position, uh, conditions, marching across two or three countries and showing up at our southern border to abuse our asylum system because they want to get in on the uh, the good economic environment in the United States or they want to avail themselves of our generous welfare benefits. They're not fleeing danger. They're fleeing economic hardship. And asylum was never meant to allow people to just move to the best economy they could find or search out the most generous welfare benefits they can, can find. And, of course, the current batch of uh so-called refugees are coming from Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala and they're moving through Mexico and uh, Mexico is a stable safe uh, country for them and uh, and they have to apply for according to international laws they have to apply for asylum in the first safe country they come along the Obama judge Tigger in the San, San Francisco district was determined to stop that And now, sort of uh, by surprise, the Supreme Court has come out to smack down his uh, injunction and say that uh, the administration can't enforce the new asylum rules while it works its way through the courts. Absolutely fantastic news. So CNN has sort of shut up about their latest fake news episode where their reporter Jim Scuto Uh, reported that uh, the United States had to extract a spy that was embedded in the Kremlin because Donald Trump was reckless with uh, classified material. No sooner had he got those words out of his mouth that it was revealed that uh, they had tried to uh, extricate this spy before Donald Trump was even elected president. And I pointed out that it was not Donald Trump that burned the cover for this spy. It was, in fact, John Brennan. 
who leaked to the New York Times and the Washington Post that he had a source inside the Kremlin. Now, I'm not convinced that this guy was actually a a uh, a spy burrowed deep inside the Kremlin. For one thing, when they brought him out, they moved him to suburban Washington, D.C., and he bought, and I guess they bought for him, a $1 million home under his own name. Now, if you actually had somebody who was spying for the United States inside the Kremlin, the last thing you would do would be buy a house right outside of Washington, D.C., in the guy's real name, unless you actually wanted him found. And when all of this was going down, I was pointing out that one of three things were true, that either John Brennan was making up the existence of this spy, and he, he may indeed be, this may be somebody that he has set up to pretend to be a mole that was inside the Kremlin, or two, that John Brennan had burned his own spy inside the Kremlin by leaking this story to the New York Times and the Washington Post in order to try to get Trump, or three, that the Kremlin was in fact feeding misinformation to John Brennan and the CIA through this guy. I don't know if this guy that uh, that CNN is talking about is in fact the guy the the mole that John Brennan was referring to. This may all be a put up. But in fact, somebody over at the CIA actually released or leaked the name of this guy to NBC News, parent company of MSNBC and their news division over there. So you know what they're all about. And they had a reporter show up at this guy's home. And all of this is just a little too pat in light of the fact that John Durham is starting to dig into the origins of the Russiagate hoax. And John Brennan needed somebody to tie up those loose ends where he was feeding information to the Obama White House, claiming that they had a mole inside the Kremlin, saying that uh, Vladimir Putin wanted Donald Trump to win. I took a lot of grief over those, uh, uh, those theories of mine over... Uh, Twitter and on email, and it turns out they're all coming to uh, uh, to fruition. I've got a clip here for you if I can find it. This is Joe DeGeneva agreeing with me that this whole leak originated with John Brennan. As part of the Russia hoax, they needed to create the image that somehow this information had gotten out of, from Putin about influencing the election. So John Brennan created the myth of this guy whose initials are O.S. and who lives in Virginia. We all know And who, who bought a house in his own name and lives openly and notoriously. Now, when the CIA brings back a real asset, you know what they do? They hide him forever. They give him a fake name. He lives in Siberia, but they don't allow him to live in Fairfax, Virginia under his name. This story was leaked by John Brennan, who gave the name and the address of the agent to NBC News, who sent one of their reporters there. Thank you, John Brennan, great patriot. This is a fraudulent story perpetuated by Brennan, and he should be indicted for incompetence and fraud. The skullduggery going on uh, on this issue is really deep. John Brennan uh, leaked 
the existence of a so-called spy inside the Kremlin and then tried to get somebody out who actually didn't wasn't in the inner circles in the Kremlin and then brought him to Washington, D.C. and purchased him a home under his own name right outside of the city in Alexandria. And then when John Durham starts digging into the origins of the Russiagate hoax, lo and behold, his identity and his location is leaked to NBC News, who shows up with a reporter at the guy's house while fake news CNN says the whole reason he had to be extracted was because Donald Trump met with Russia's foreign minister and ambassador. This kind of feels like rats from a sinking ship to me. Joe DeGeneva went on to say that these were the same people that leaked both of these stories. By the way... The CIA people who leaked this story today and the former CIA are the same ones who leaked the story to the New York Times originally and identified this person without giving his name and said they were worried about him. At that point, everyone said, well, if he isn't dead before this, he's dead now as a result of the CIA leaks to the New York Times. Brennan is the father of all of these leaks. He should be investigated fully and thoroughly. Well, he should be investigated a long time ago, and uh, he should have to testify uh, before a grand jury and be subject to indictment. we got to run out to a break. Stick with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about Jerry Nadler's House Judiciary Committee and their latest um, kabuki theater in regard to trying to impeach Donald Trump. Right back. Mojo. Attention, those of you looking to go on a fun vacation and see the world on the cheap. Today, the U.S. dollar is worth even more in other countries. So there's never been a better time to travel outside the USA. The dollar is worth over $1.30 in Canadian dollars. And it's the same for Australia. You can fly there today and have fun and maximize your travel dollar. Your U.S. dollar is worth over $3 in Brazilian reals, and it's worth over $18 in Mexican pesos. Plus, in Argentina, it's worth over $27 in Argentine pesos. Just think of the bargains you'll get. And the way you get the cheapest airfare to any destination is by calling Tickets That Cheap. Save up to 75% on your foreign vacation tickets. Don't wait. Call now. 800-932-1596. 800-932-1596. That's 800-932-1596. Well, Nancy Pelosi has entirely lost control of the Democrat caucus in the House of Representatives. She's got the squad out there led by AOC, basically uh, driving the agenda, getting any sort of progress that uh, she is able to make on the legislative agenda overshadowed and uh, and really um, pushed to the side. And then she's got Jerry Nadler, who in between trying to pull his pants up under his chin is is engaged in some sort of kabuki theater impeachment process in the House Judiciary Committee. 
And even without a vote of the full House, he's proceeding and holding fake votes and fake hearings uh, designed to convince everybody that uh, Donald Trump is, uh, is under impeachment. The same way that the deep state put together a, a show of the fact that Donald Trump was, uh, you know, colluding with the Russians during the 2016 election. Now, Jerry Nadler is engaged in a fraud in the House Judiciary Committee that they're proceeding with impeachment. And they took some votes today uh, saying that, you know, they were going to extend the hearing time and they were going to go after prohibited grand jury material and all sorts of other stuff. And really what it did is just make fools. Not out of Jerry Nadler. You can't make a bigger fool of Jerry Nadler, but of all the other Democrat idiots on the Judiciary Committee. And the Republicans on the committee really had great fun at the Democrats' expense. And I'm going to play you a, a, a really long clip now. This one's over four minutes long, but as I've said repeatedly, if I can find somebody to say something better than I can, then I am glad to uh, let you hear from them. And Jim Jordan says exactly what's going on over in the House Judiciary Committee better than I ever could. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Two days ago, Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee voted to take away an American citizen's Second Amendment rights. You voted to do that even though that citizen had committed no crime. And you voted to allow their rights to be taken in a court proceeding that that citizen doesn't even get to show up to defend themselves. Jim Jordan is talking about these red flag laws that they passed out of the House Judiciary Committee just the other day that uh, provides no due process for American citizens before their Second Amendment rights are violated. Now today... You're changing the rules to make it easier for you to pursue impeachment of the president of the United States. Changing the rules nine months into the new Congress. First, you vote to take away Americans' firearms. Then you vote to impeach the guy they elected president all in one week. Actually, all in less than 48 hours in the House Judiciary Committee. The committee that's supposed to protect the rules, supposed to protect constitutional rights. All in less than 48 hours, you're doing it. And why are you changing the rules? Why are you changing the rules? General lady from Arizona was right. Because nothing else has worked for you. The Michael Cohen hearing was a flop. The John Dean hearing was a flop. And everyone in the country knows the Bob Mueller hearing. They saw it. That was a flop. So let's change the rules in the middle of the game. Because we got to find something. We're out to get this. We got to find something. Never forget how this whole thing started. Never forget how this whole thing started. A false accusation about the president of the United States saying the president coordinated with a foreign country to influence the election. Jim Comey investigated that for 10 months. Guess what? He found nothing. And we know he found nothing because we deposed him. And he told us after 10 months they didn't have a thing. But that didn't stop it. 22 months later, Bob Mueller does a special counsel investigation. He investigates it for 22 months. And what does he tell us? Other members have already said this. He found nothing. No coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia to impact the election. 32 months of investigations. They find nothing. But what what do Democrats want to do? What do they want to do now? Change the rules. Keep investigating. Because we got to find something so we can impeach this president. Maybe the country would be better served. Maybe the, maybe the constituents we represent would be better served if we actually figured out 
how the false accusation happened. And the good news is, as I've said before in this committee, the good news is that's exactly what the Attorney General of the United States is doing. And thank God for Bill Barr. That's exactly what he's doing. But you know what? We can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. And a great place to start is right where Mr. Shabbat just said. Why don't we start with the Inspector General, not just any Inspector General, the Inspector General for the Justice Department, which we have jurisdiction over, just issued a report two weeks ago, scathing report on the guy who's most responsible for this three-year saga that our country has had to live through, Jim Comey. Jim Comey, the guy who opened the investigation in July of 2016. Jim Comey, the guy who allowed Peter Strzok to run that investigation after that guy had ran the Clinton investigation, after that guy had said to Lisa Page, another FBI employee, don't worry, Lisa, we'll stop Trump. Jim Comey, the guy who allowed the dossier to go to the secret court to be used to spy on a fellow American associated with the Trump campaign. Jim Comey, who leaked information to the New York Times through his friends so we would get the special counsel. Jim Comey, the guy who on January 6th goes to Trump Tower trying to trap the president while he's telling the president he's not under investigation. Scathing report by the inspector general on that guy. And when I asked the chairman two days ago, two days ago when he was busy taking away people's Second Amendment rights, when I asked him two, two days ago when we might have a chance to question the inspector general, his response, the chairman of the judiciary's response was, I don't know. We haven't thought about that. That is scary. That is scary. When you have the inspector general issue that kind of report and the chairman of the judiciary committee doesn't even know a thing about it. Hasn't even thought about when we're going to bring him in so we can talk to him. This is the judiciary committee for goodness sake. And think about what has happened in 48 hours in this committee. This is scary. And everyone in the country knows and everyone who said this earlier, they know that there aren't the votes to do this. There aren't the votes to do this right. So you're playing this game in the Judiciary Committee of all places. Maybe if you were a little less focused on taking people's Second Amendment rights and impeaching the guy they made president, we could actually do what this committee is supposed to do. I yield back. The Democrats have no intention whatsoever of doing the business of Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives. They're too busy trying to take away people's due process rights and their Second Amendment protections under the United States Constitution and trying to circumvent the well-established processes for impeachment by going by bypassing a full vote of the House of Representatives and instead just uh, proceeding on their own volition under the the courageous leadership of fat boy Jerry Nadler. It's really unbelievable and it's really pathetic. And whoever voted for a Democrat Congress member from a, a a district that Donald Trump won has themselves to to thank for this. Well, maybe at long last we we might actually see a prosecution arise out of the RussiaGate scandal of FBI former FBI acting director Andrew McCabe has been referred from for charges by U.S. Attorney Jesse Liu. Now, whether or not the Department of Justice will proceed on this recommendation is yet to be seen, but this will be um, the second high-level FBI director that's been referred for prosecution. The Inspector General Horowitz, in fact, found that uh, James Comey had broke the law and referred him for charges to the Department of Justice. 
Bill Barr declined to press charges, and we'll, we'll have to wait to see whether or not he'll do the same with McCabe. McCabe lied before Congress. He lied to internal investigators. He leaked to the New York Times and the, and the Washington Post. And he's the same guy, the same guy, has put people in jail for far less than what he did himself. And if they don't proceed on these charges, then it just further erodes the rule of law in this country. We've got to run out to a break. Stick with us. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dan Perkins and talk about Islamic terrorism right after these messages. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is... What's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective on the Mojo 5.0 radio network. Well, this past Monday, the Senate Homeland Security Committee held a hearing at Ground Zero to commemorate 9-11 at the National Memorial and Museum in New York City. It was just days before the anniversary of that Islamic attack on September 11, 2001, but oddly enough, no mention of radical Islam was made by any of the senators on the panel and was only obliquely mentioned by any of the three witnesses. They did, however, take testimony on climate change, gun control, and the threat of white supremacy. Joining us now to talk about it is Dan Perkins, a nationally recognized expert on foreign policy and energy and a contributor to the Daily Caller, Town Hall, Newsmax, and The Hill. He's author of the novel The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective, and you can find that on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So I got to say, I I read the article in Breitbart, and then I went on and watched that hearing, and it was just amazing how right there in the shadow of uh, the former World Trade Center's on the anniversary of 9-11, none of the senators and, uh, and only one of the witnesses even made mention of the uh, radical uh, um, theology that was responsible for the attacks of 9-11. Did, did it strike you as, um, as insulting? Um, yes, yes and no. Uh, yes, it was insulting to the 3,000 people 
who died and the families of those people who've been affected by, by it ever since that attack. But it didn't surprise me because um, there was a, this was all part of something that happened some time ago that most people have forgotten about. And I don't mean the bombing. I'm not going to give you a specific event which created a fundamental shift in our leadership ideas about the prosecution against terrorism and more specifically against radical Muslims. That event took place um, a couple of summers ago, well, actually more than that, more like four or five, when Barack Obama was on the golf course during his summer vacation and had to come in and announce to the American people that a reporter had been beheaded by ISIS. And so I remember it well. what happened. Yeah, what happened was that, that a lot of people uh, took what happened at face value and didn't understand that there were messages to two constituencies and how that affected from that point on, how it affected these two constituencies and it, how it's uh, prevalent today. The first message was to the black community. This was Daniel Pearl you're referring to, is that correct? Yes, yes. I, yes sir, that's exactly correct, Daniel Pearl. And what I'm, what I'm laying out here is a hypothesis that said, up until that point in time, the Democratic Party had been a party of victims. And the largest constituency of victims at that time were blacks. And what the beheading of Daniel Pearl was a message to the Democratic Party, uh, the blacks are no longer your primary victims. From now on, the primary victims are going to be Muslims. And if you don't do that, we've already demonstrated what we can do to you if you don't do what we tell you to do, number one. Number two was clearly a message to the media in the United States and around the world that we are watching how you report our activities, and if you don't report it in a way in which we like it to be reported, the outcome of Daniel Pearl will visit you. So that well, that is quite a theory, that. there, Dan. Well, let me let me take it, play it forward. Uh, at the time of the attack of 9/11, there were approximately 1,250 mosques, Muslim mosques, in the United States. And that now number has almost, grown dramatically. Uh, I think uh, Muslim immigration into the United States post 9/11 increased by three or fourfold. Yeah, and so there now are almost 3,000 mosques in the United States. And so when we elected the first two Muslim females to the U.S. Congress, and they took their seats in January of this year, look at what has happened with the two Muslim ladies and the amount of influence and exposure they've gotten in the media and how much they are in control of the Democratic Party. And when, when it came time to criticize our lady friend from Minneapolis, about her anti-Semitic remarks. Ilhan the Omar. Congress, yeah, Ilhan Omar. The Ilhan Omar, she was supposed to be censured by the House for her anti-Semitic remarks. Her remarks but were actually, so off 
the reservation for the traditional Democrat Party that everybody just assumed that they would censure her for making these blatantly anti-Semitic remarks. But uh, when the resolution was brought forward by the House leadership, they had a uh, a revolt in their ranks, and they made it uh, known in no uncertain terms that Ilhan Omar would not be censured for those remarks, and they turned the the whole resolution around basically to condemn white nationalism. Against Muslims, the victim. Correct. So that, that in, in a very short period of time, the Omar and her sister up in Michigan, basically along with the, the representative from Massachusetts and AOC, basically took control of the Democratic Party in a very short period of time. And they are influencing the direction of the policy and what's being said. And the media. Well, they, cer- said, they certainly are dictating policy when it comes to issues regarding Islam and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Right, and and recognition and support of Israel. What I'm saying is that in that that one event with with Mr. Pearl was sending a message to the Democrats and to the news media. And here we roll forwards, you know, 17 years later with our first two female. Muslim congresswoman, and we see exactly what I said was going to happen. It's happening. And so when we look at what's going on on Monday, when we had this hearing, it was more, there is more concern about the impact of global warming than the impact of terrorism. I want to play you a clip from Janet Napolitano. The the three witnesses before the committee yesterday were uh, uh, Chertoff, Napolitano, and Jay Johnson, who were the three previous uh, Homeland Security secretaries under George Bush and uh, and then Barack Obama, and uh, and this this is the clip that really struck me is Janet Napolitano uh, couldn't even bring herself to mention the threat of uh, jihad or Islamic terrorism, and instead she took off on uh, on other threats. So today I would like to speak with you about three areas that I believe the country must focus on. Cybersecurity, mass casualty shootings, and the effects of global warming or climate change. And I will address one issue that I believe is not a threat to the homeland, the United States border with Mexico. The United States border is not a threat to the homeland. Now, that is a very porous border, and you have written in your uh, in, in several of your books, actually, uh, especially uh, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, about uh, you know these suitcase uh, dirty nuclear bombs, and right. uh, and you could you could literally just uh, carry one of those bombs right across that open southern border, and nobody would be the wiser right. until it was too late. But Janet Napolitano wants you to believe that uh, an unsecured border. Um, that is being flooded by foreign nationals from all over the world does not present a, uh, a, a danger to the homeland. Now, taking that thought and, and holding on to it, go to last weekend when Omar saying she wants the UN to take control of the southern border. She wants the United States government to turn over immigration and other activities performed by immigration and customs to the, to the Refugee Department of the United Nations. Now, what she's not telling you is that this particular, and you don't have to take my word for it, go to the Internet, go to Google, and search this refugee organization of the UN, and you will find pages and pages of complaints 
of where these people have been put in countries where the people are responsible for raping women and children. Now, on top of that, the people, the, the women and children, girls that are coming north on these caravans, when they're in their hometowns, where if they can afford them, they're given shots to keep them from getting pregnant because of the high incidence of rape on the caravans. In many, many cases, women and girls who don't have the money to pay, to pay with their bodies. And yet she's going to turn over the control of our southern border to a U.N. organization that has a reputation for being rapists. Now, it seems well, to she, me, she's turning over to a body that is uh, uh, anti-Semitic to its core and uh, does not have the best interests of the United States at heart. That's for sure. Yeah. The idea that the American people would agree to turn over control of the southern border to the U.N. is really and I, I've done a lot of interviews about that in the last two weeks. It really doesn't deserve the time of day because the American people will never stand for that. That's right. And I've had people like yourself, not you specifically, but talk shows who have asked me, do you think it's possible that, that President Trump and Vice President Pence and Mitch McConnell will agree to that? I said, no, they'll never agree to that. But in their in the tone and their voice. But one of these 10 Democrat uh, clown car candidates uh, might 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 agree to it, or at least they might promise to agree to it. Right. And so. So the point is that we again we have her Omar making a suggestion about what should happen that we should turn over control of our southern border. But I would ask the question: If we turn over this control of the southern border, what's to keep the UN from saying, "Well, we need to control all of the borders of the United States"? Well, the no UN does, the in fact, uh, control many of the borders in uh, in the continent of Africa and and uh, in the Middle East. I want to play a clip for you here while we're on the topic of Ilhan Omar. Um, when she recently held a news conference along with Tlaib and uh, the squad members, AOC and uh, Presley, she was asked mm-hmm. outright to condemn Islamic terrorism, and this was what she had to say. Every single person who's brown and black at some point in their life in this country heard that. Now, when he made the comment, uh, I know that every single Muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment. And so I will not dignify it with an answer. So she refuses to answer whether or not she condemns ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and Islamic terrorism. And uh, and she says because it's an affront to ask her to. So I went on a concerted search on the Internet trying to find any time well, Irhan Omar had condemned Islamic terrorism, and I wasn't able to find a single instance and it makes you right. wonder if she is unable to, you know, condemn Islamic terrorism, um, maybe she supports it. Well, that's that's a perfectly logical conclusion, and I would agree with it. That the, the, the problem for the American people is that they don't understand the context in which she's operating. <clears throat> she considers herself to be a Sharia-compliant Muslim. And following the Quran. Now, under under the provisions of the Quran, one of the tenets is that if you are a Muslim, <clears throat> there are rules about how you interact with infidels, non-Muslims. And that particular provision is called taqiyah. And under taqiyah, you are allowed to lie, steal, cheat, mislead, whatever you want to do to infidels in order to further the objective of, of the Muslim group. <clears throat> and so we cannot take anything that she and her sister 
uh, in uh, Michigan are saying, because we don't know if it's truthful or she's lying to us. It's the same, same principle of, we, it, again, not, not much play, but they had the Ayatollah for Iran said last week, we would consider reopening the talks on the nuclear agreement if we receive $15 billion in cash. Now, are we going to pay $15 billion for the right to talk, and are they going to do anything, or are they going to stand there and lie to us? My, my point is, if, if you cannot have trust in the person that you're trying to have a dialogue with and to try and settle differences, you will never settle it. They will never capitulate because they will never tell us the truth. And that's what's going on. Well, it struck me, uh, you, you mentioned that Ilhan Omar is Sharia compliant, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she may not be able to, given the district that she represents uh, being a, uh, identified by the FBI as a hotbed of Islamic terror recruiting, she might not be mm-hmm. able to make any uh, statements uh, condemning Islamic terrorism because they would retaliate against her. And I'm not talking about just in defeating her in the next election. She could be missing her head. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we, we've, right. Reached, we've reached the point in this country where we've got whole congressional districts where, um, you know, I'm not saying they are majority uh, radical Islamic, but they uh, they certainly have a huge element of that. And Ilhan Omar herself uh, filed a, a brief with a court where um, four uh, adherents uh, to ISIS who had joined from her district uh, were busted by the FBI, and she filed a, a brief urging the court to be lenient on them because, uh, you know, their heart was in the right place. Right. It, it, it's, 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 it's a situation where if you can't trust what a person's saying, you never know what they're telling you is, to the, is the truth. Is it, is it a lie? Is it a manipulation of you? and manipulation of the facts to a particular end. We know, we know in Michigan that there are Sharia courts right now practicing law. There are, there are Sharia police patrols in, in Ilhan Omar's district. Mm -hmm. And so those people have already seceded from the union of the United States and are forming. And, and the precedent for doing this is look what's happened in France and Germany. And France England. is an example of the, and it, but, but France is the most dominant example of divide and conquer. Farthest down the road. The, and they have created many, many enclaves of pure Muslim, and they are called no-go zones, and the military and the police and fire and everybody else, the government authorities, are forbidden to go into those areas. So what's happening is the Muslims are subdividing the country of France into these uh, enclaves, and they, as they continue to grow, they become more and more powerful, more and more demanding, and as a result, they're going to wind up taking over the country of France. Now, the listeners might have heard that and thought that uh, Dan Perkins was exaggerating, but as a matter of fact, the president of France, uh, Macron himself, has acknowledged that there are, in fact, no-go zones in the Paris suburbs, where uh, where Sharia law and um, and Muslim culture dominate, uh, and mm-hmm. that it is uh, it is causing the disintegration of the historic French nation. 
I have a children's book that's available on the website called Peter the Little Irish Seal. That book, the genesis for writing that book, was my son and daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law is of Irish descent, has a uh, dual citizenship, and they would go back periodically to visit her family in Ireland. And they would come back and tell me of how much the, the Muslims are taking over Dublin, trying to change the law and the history and the culture of the Irish people. I wrote Peter the Little Irish Seal as a way to preserve some small element of the historical culture of, of the Irish people. But they go in and they change the laws, they change the culture, they ban these things, you can't do these things. Very quickly they become Sharia-compliant countries. They're no longer, they're no longer a specific national uh, organization uh, or a structure. They're no longer Irish or French or German or Italian or whatever. They are Muslim. They're beca- well, they're becoming multiculturalism and home to, as you said, the, these enclaves and these strongholds of, uh, of a foreign um, mm-hmm. culture. You know, one of the traditions in the European countries are big communal pools. And uh, across the continent now, uh, many of these pools are closing down because uh, the, the, uh, the new Muslim arrivals uh, cannot tolerate um, Western women wearing bathing suits. Um, and, you know, they insist that they, they cover themselves up completely. And rather than push back and, and uh, insist on the native culture prevailing, uh, they're just closing these pools down and, um, mm-hmm. and, and capitulating, sub- submitting to this, uh, to this foreign uh, invasion. And when you look at the percentage of the Muslim people as a percentage of the population, in any of those countries in Europe, it's relatively small. Now, France has the highest at about 10%. But they're, they're minority, minority population, yet they're aggressive and they have tremendous influence in trying to get things changed and to their liking and to what they want to do. We don't understand that. And that's why the first book in the trilogy, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective, this, is, this was specifically written to help people understand why these people hate us so much and why they want to kill us. What are the other two books in the trilogy? Actually, uh, the second book is called America Rebuilds, and the third book is called America Responds. Now, when I finished the third book, about nine months later, I started getting emails from people, and they said, so when's the next book coming? And I would send them a note back and said, do you understand that a trilogy is three books? <laughs> and, and I would get I would get emails back, so when's the next book coming? <laughs> so I wrote a fourth book, and a gentleman, a, 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 a talk show host yesterday, says, I figured out what we're going to call it. We're going to call it a quadrilogy, Quad- four books. Quadrilogy. That, that's Terrorist Gold, and um, that's also. So those are all available, along with the children's books, are available at Amazon. But um, hey, Dan, I've got a, I've got this uh, this audio clip. It's uh, it's setting up the first book in the trilogy, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile. It's about a three okay. minute clip. Have you got long enough uh, to stand by, and then you can sure. comment? Here we go. Absolutely. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile: A Terrorist Perspective by Dan Perkins. We interrupt this program to bring you a special Reader's News update. Joining us is Dan Perkins, author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. Dan? This is fiction, and it's meant to be entertaining, but I'd also like to get people thinking. Reports from undisclosed news sources tell us that representatives from Homeland Security, the FBI, CIA, NSA, and the Secret Service are gathering to discuss a possible threat in the United States.
United States from an Al-Qaeda-like terrorist group called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile. Earlier from Washington... Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today because of a real threat that, if successful, could bring down America. Once again, here's Dan Perkins. How could we best prepare if a threat like this actually happened? Joining us now is our Reader's News Middle Eastern correspondent, Jane French. Jane? Thank you. Based on what we have been able to pick up in internet traffic, a new Al-Qaeda-type terrorist group is being formed somewhere in Syria, possibly Iraq and Iran. This group is dramatically different from Al-Qaeda. We believe that it is possible that this group has acquired former Soviet Union suitcase dirty bombs and plans to use them against the United States. We know that Russia cannot account for 12 of these bombs. We are told that in addition to U.S. Homeland Security, CIA, and other federal agency task forces, there may be additional help from Great Britain's MI6, as well as possible covert ops teams from the Israeli Mossad. Undisclosed sources have intercepted these Brotherhood of the Red Nile communications. This is our target. We can't attack all of the United States, but we can select targets that, if attacked successfully, will have much greater long-term impact on America. We can lay out our plans to bring down America using our new weapons. Once again, here's Dan Perkins. All the technology is real. Dan, how is this possible? Most of the technology referred to in this book is available on the Internet. It is clear, however, that there are terrorist groups that want to attack the United States. Jane, final thoughts? Once again, we are following up on reports that the U.S. Homeland Security, CIA, Joint Federal Agency Task Forces, British MI6, and Israeli Mossad are tracking an Al-Qaeda-like terrorist group known as the Brotherhood of the Red Nile. This group reportedly has possession of one or more of the missing Soviet Union dirty bombs. While further information is not clear at this time, undisclosed sources say their intent is to use these Soviet dirty bombs against the United States. Stand by while we switch to our Washington correspondence. Broadcasting from the Oval Office, the president said, My fellow Americans, the radio crackled. We interrupt the president. There is a report of a second nuclear bomb exploding in... The radio went dead. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, a terrorist perspective by Dan Perkins, is available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, FriesenPress.com, and all Dan Perkins books can be ordered at your local bookstore. You know, Dan, that is a hair-raising uh, prospect you raise in that book. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, it's it's not that unlike uh, the books that Tom Clancy wrote that, uh, that predicted uh, that Islamic terrorists would use airliners to as missiles to attack uh, buildings. And uh, nobody, including inside the CIA, paid any heed to that. And the, the scenarios that you're describing there in that book are perfectly plausible. And if you think it hasn't occurred to Islamic terrorists to do that, I would argue you're sadly mistaken. Right. That uh, I've had people who listened uh, to that clip and and they say it reminds them to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. It's just as scary. And um, uh, and, and and some people have compared what you just said that the books remind them of, of Tom Clancy and his writing style. 
which is, I think, highly complimentary for me, and I appreciate that. But, but even when you write fiction, there has to be an element of truth to make fiction work. As I said, all the technology uh, in the book is real. It happens, and it's there. Um, one of the scariest pieces of the book was that this book was started in, in February of the first book, Terrorist Perspective was started in February of 2012. Why is it important? Because I said in the book that the new terrorist group called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile was going to be, was being formed in the town of Oman, Syria. Three years later, that's where ISIS was formed. You know, what's scary uh, to me about it, Dan, is you think that, uh, you know, our CIA and our other uh, intelligence agencies have a handle on this. But as I described, uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, they said that it never occurred to them that uh, Islamic terrorists would use airliners as missiles. Apparently, nobody over at the CIA had ever read Tom Clancy because he described just that scenario. And he's not the only author that described that scenario. There were others. And right. they had captured Ramsey Youssef over in the Philippines. Well, they they actually they just missed capturing Ramsey Youssef over in Manila, uh, but they found plans in his bomb making factory to do just that to use uh, an airliner to uh, attack the CIA headquarters. And yet, nobody took any action to prevent it until it was too late. And and it makes you fearful uh, that, you know, this could be the same kind of scenario. I would say, uh, I would make a recommendation to your audience. I watched last night the two-hour special on the History Channel. 20 seconds. On Air Force One. You will be shocked at how ill-prepared we were as a nation. We we had the president in Air Force One, and it reached a point where he was totally out of control, meaning he couldn't talk to anybody. So watch that, and you'll see how ill-prepared we were for this attack. Dan Perkins is the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. You can find his website at danperkinssanibel.com, and you can follow Dan on Twitter at dansbeak, D-A-N-S-B-E-A-K. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back again sometime. Anytime. Just give me a call. Thank Thank you. you. And we got that's it for today's uh, edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I hope you'll join us back here again tomorrow on the Mojo 50 Radio Network. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.